We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast. We look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking, well... MLS is back 2023, baby. Uh, let's see what else. Manchester United winning trophies again. Apple TV. Moi here in Paris. Uh, rain in L.A. And so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this Monday, February 27th in the year 2023? I am doing well, but I am very jealous because you, my friend, are currently at my favorite city in the world. It, uh, Paris is your favorite city, really? Yes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it's been wonderful. Obviously, we were here a couple of years ago for the uh, the Women's World Cup. That was the I think that yeah, but this is the last time I was here. I've even gone to a couple of our old haunts uh, around here. It, obviously, that was during the summer, so uh, this is during the winter, and it is it, it is cold, but it is still beautiful, my friend. Nothing has changed relative to the beauty and the romance. Uh, wonderful food, wonderful time for those that are just tuning in and uh, didn't get our last episode. I am here. Uh, uh, as a guest of FIFA, uh, part of the Legends program coming in for their uh, annual FIFA Best Awards. And that event will happen here in a couple of hours. You can see me. I'm already dressed uh, dressed up and ready to go if you are watching the uh, the podcast. And so, yeah, it's going to be fun. Already uh, run into a bunch of people, uh, including a bunch of people that, uh, you know, from an American perspective, the great Carly Lloyd's here, Heather O'Reilly's here, ran into Jill Ellis. Uh, she's here. Again, I had a wonderful conversation. And if you remember from, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I talked about uh, Avran Grant, the uh, the uh, the coach, former po- coach of Chelsea and a national team coach and everything. Still a wonderful, wonderful gentleman and just so much fun to talk to. Ran into him uh, last night at dinner. Um, Stephanie Labe, the uh, Canadian goalkeeper who actually was up for uh, goalkeeper of the year. Last year, I think it, I think it was she was at the table. The great Juan Pablo Angel, formerly of um, uh, many different teams, including MLS, uh, a relation with uh, uh, Red Bull New York, and he is still without a doubt, the best looking man that you will find any room that he goes into guaranteed people will swoon. My wife is one of them. There were others. I'm not going to name names, but 
the dude is incredibly good looking and a wonderful person. So that was fun. Uh, Fareed Mondragon, the uh, Colombian, great Colombian. Uh, actually, actually, he was on the team in 94 uh, and 98 for Colombia. And uh, you might remember him from an MLS perspective with the Philadelphia Union. Arsene Wenger, la- last night saw him uh, again. Carlos Cordero, uh, former uh, U.S. Uh, Soccer Federation president. Johnny Infantino uh, was there last night. And they'll all be here tonight uh, at this uh, gala awards uh, event, including our friend Stu Holden, who uh, actually just landed here uh, a couple of hours ago. Uh, you said you're there as part of a legends team. So they're using the term legends very loosely. Uh, you know, I set you up for that. It was low hanging fruit. I would be disappointed if you didn't take that. But, you know, even your your slings and arrows and barbs from thousands of miles away, they still hurt. You know, I I, I wound on the inside. OK, so I'm not going to let you, you know, let them see the, uh, the the pain that you are causing me from an outward perspective. But just know that, yeah, I'm, I'm wounded on the inside. But I could I I'm a pro. And so I'm going to let it go. I'm going to keep uh, keep going. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They do use it lo- loosely, too. So I am I'm incredibly fortunate and lucky um, and thankful that I'm even part of this uh, this program. And basically what it is, is it's cultivating former players, ex-players, obviously, um, you know, applying the legend in, in many different uh, cases that have been around in FIFA that are associated kind of with World Cups and with FIFA and, and all of that and bringing them in and using them. And, you know, it's it's soft power, whatever you want to call about it, but it's the uh, the cachet and and like I said, the the influence that comes from all of these uh, these players, uh, I guess would be ex-players now. And there's so many of them from all over the world, many of that you have heard of, some that you haven't, and it's wonderful to get, get to meet different people. So tonight's going to be fun. Obviously, you know, the culmination is, uh, you know, the players of the year, and we have the, you know, the, the best players in the world that are here, including our own Alex Morgan, who was up for uh, Women's Player of the Year. And then, of course, on the men's side, you got uh, what I think is going to be, the, you know, again, a just continual parade and crowning of uh, Leo Messi and what he did. And, I don't, you know, he's up against his, his teammate in Mbappe and French countryman Kareem Benzema. It's interesting, Mossy. I was reading some of the articles here. And there's always intrigue and drama when it comes to FIFA and the relationship with others. And we know that this is one of the players of the year awards and there's the Ballon d'Or and stuff. And at at times in the past, they were together, they were apart. Now they're apart here. And the fact that it is happening here and it is happening in Paris, obviously where where Messi plays, um, I think that what they're trying to do is really kind of show, and I think Messi's going to win it. I mean, I would really be surprised tonight if, from a men's perspective, that Leo Messi isn't the uh, the player of the year. And what he did with the, with Argentina, I think, is what is at play here and what is going to drive a lot of the things, actually, when it comes to coach of the year, when it comes to goalkeeper of the year. I think a lot of it is going to be relative uh, to Argentina. But it's fun. Either way, it's a party, and uh, I'm having a good time. Great, great. Sounds great. Uh, should we light this candle, my friend? Let's do it. Because we got all sorts of action. All right, we're going to start over there with MLS, and I, I can I can confirm that all of the uh, Apple promises that came with this new streaming uh, relationship that they have uh, when I'm talking about MLS with uh, with Apple and the global reach that they promised absolutely happens. So even over here in the middle of the night, I was able to pull up the games on my Apple app and see all of the different games that were uh, that were going on. Should we should we start um, at any particular game, Mossy? Or do you want to just uh, talk? Well, first off, I guess we should we should talk about the game that didn't happen, which was going to be kind of the marquee game. 
And while it's cold over here in Paris, uh, as you guys know, over there in Los Angeles, we're getting lots and lots of rain. And unfortunately, the 90,000 plus that we're going to show up for another edition of El Trafico to kind of kick off the season and kick off this relationship with uh, with Apple that MLS has was unfortunately postponed. Now, that's the that's the bad news. Good news is it's been rescheduled for the July, for July 4th. And so there will be fireworks. I think it's actually going to work out to be an even bigger type of event. But it was a little bit of a of a letdown. So Los Angeles, uh, Los Angeles, well, Los Angeles, LAFC, and Chicago are the three teams that didn't play on the first weekend. And by the way, um, it was a KC in Portland that was also canceled. But by the time you listen to this, that will have been uh, that will have been played. So that was a little disappointing. But plenty of action, plenty of games. Uh, you want to start over there with uh, Philadelphia, my friend? Yes, uh, I do want to note I would have been among those ninety thousand. I had tickets for the Rose Bowl. I was very excited. Uh, my two previous trips to the Rose Bowl were to see Michigan lose to Aaron Schechter's USC. So I was be going for a different reason this time. It's where Brazil won a World Cup once upon a time. So I do have some positive feelings towards that venue. Uh, but like you said, uh, July 4th, I plan to go then and could be even better. So that's exciting. The team that lost to LAFC in the last MLS Cup and the team that many are picking to win MLS Cup this year, the Philadelphia Union, Great start to the season for them. 4-1 home win over Columbus. Gazdag on target twice from the penalty spot. Carranza scored twice as well. The Union looking very strong out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, look, they they did not miss a beat. They didn't look. And and to be fair, there were not a lot of a lot of changes and they just kind of finely tuned uh, Jim Curtin over there. And it looks like they're just going to continue on to be a team that, and I don't know if you read the... Um, there was an article in the uh, the Athletic where they and they do this each and every year. Um, our friends over there, where they interview GMs, and it's all anonymous. And at one point, either a GM or a coach, I can't remember which one, but you should go check out the article because it's kind of interesting to see. Um, was talking about how while they have respect, this was a, a someone that works for a different team, not Philadelphia. While they have respect for Philadelphia, you know, they they said they're not a. They're not even that good a team. Now, they're good at winning. Do they play the most beautiful soccer? I don't think Jim Curtin or anybody in that organization would say that they do. But ultimately, they win. They give their fans exactly what they want. And this was comprehensive from uh, from start to finish. And even though you know what Philadelphia is going to do, they do it so well and they do it so consistently that they are able to just kind of roll over you on a on a game-to-game basis. And there's not necessarily those peaks and valleys. And so it looks like the uh, Philadelphia is going to continue on. You know, the crew under Wilford Nancy, this is going to be a work in progress for a little bit until he gets his his feet wet. Um, it can't take too long here. So it's not a it's not a great outing, but not missing a beat when, when it comes to the Philadelphia Union. And, and for those of us that did pick them as possibilities, I think it's justified in terms of uh, them being contenders for uh, MLS Cup this year. St. Louis, the first expansion team since LAFC in 2018 to win their opening match, 3-2 away to Austin. They trailed 2-1 late, and then Austin defender Kip Keller with one of the all-time bloopers in MLS history passes it to Jared Stroud, who equalizes, and then Brazilian DP striker João Klaus with the winner for St. Louis. Yeah, it was a it was an interesting game. Um, on paper, this should have been an, an easy type of game, but this is not on paper and this is not, and this is MLS where we know anything can happen. You know, you, you mentioned just a nightmare in the back and uh, it will go down as a nightmare and it was almost gifted to, uh, to St. Louis. Now, having said that, 
I think that they, you know, they show that they are going to compete. How many times are they going to be gifted types of games like this or goals like this? Not, not a lot. Uh, by the way, Stroud uh, against his former team. Rob Stone was so so excited about his Colgate uh, friend there. And, he, and Stroud was given that bad back pass and just slotted it home and said, thank you, you're going to give me this gift. I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to say uh, say no to it. So, yeah, great, great result for St. Louis. Redhead center back comes up and I don't know if Tim Parker knew a whole lot about the header, but he gets the first goal in St. Louis history. So welcome to the league. Their first win, their first goals, um, and their first away win. So to go into Austin, by the way, which a lot of people, including myself, have as one of the elite teams for St. Louis right out of the chute, that's the way that you start. It's going to get difficult, and there will be ups and downs going forward, but this is still um, a really big moment. And, and I think it's worth celebrating, and they are celebrating right now, as they should, because I, like a lot of people, still have said if St. Louis is even close to in the playoff hunt at the end of this year, then they should thank their lucky stars, because I don't think that they're going to be, notwithstanding what they did uh, in this first game. Uh, wild scenes in Atlanta. They trailed San Jose in stoppage time, and Tiago Amada equalized 90 plus three and then won it with a free kick 90 plus nine. The five stripes take it two to one. Yeah, I mean, so it's a great result in how it happened for, by the way, another 60,000 crowd. So you had one in Charlotte, you had one in Atlanta where they were going to have 90 plus over there in Los Angeles. So big, big crowds to start off this season when it comes to MLS. And that's nothing new for Atlanta. It's nothing new for uh, for Charlotte. But this Atlanta crowd was going to go home uh, unhappy. And Tiago Amada said, no, that's not happening. And it's kind of his team right now. And, and you know, what a hell of a couple of months he he has had as a player winning the World Cup with uh, with Argentina, becoming the first active player to win a World Cup from Major League Soccer um, and obviously returning and continuing on. So it's great for him. Uh, looking forward to seeing him uh, uh, seeing him kind of take over this team, which he did in this moment. And that was really that was really fun to see. But up until then, I think there were still some questions as to what this Atlanta team is going to be. And is this just kind of some of the the same? And then they just got two magical moments. They'll take it and it's not a problem. And they're still a work in progress because they still have players coming back, but just crazy scenes. Uh, and it's fun when you have a crowd that big that ultimately is rewarded. They left it late, but ultimately they're rewarded. When uh, Frank LeBeouf won the 1998 World Cup with France, uh, the big joke in England the following season was that he was going to have to legally change his name to World Cup winner Frank LeBeouf because that's what everybody <laughs> always referred to him as. I'm getting some of that same sensation with Thiago Almada here in MLS this season. Uh, uh, I think he's got high. I think he's got high aspirations. I think he wants to go forward. And while I think you know he he can be the man, and we've we've seen where he can be the man. Maybe this is this is this was his coming out party, and he's going to put it in his back back pocket and do some other things going forward. Uh, all right, what are our friends down there in Nashville? How'd that go? Two 0 home win over NYCFC. Walker Zimmerman and Schaffelberg assisted by Hani Mukhtar, who came off the bench in this one. Nashville take it. Uh, Talis Magnu started up top, was ineffective. That is already front and center, the topic of mm -hmm. conversation with NYCFC. Uh, disappointing opener for them. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about Talis Magnu and, and where he where where he wants to play, where they want him to play, and ultimately where he is best suited. And I think it's still until he proves me, you, and others wrong. His still his best position is still out wide, and yet they've kind of been grooming him. And obviously, there's a necessity now with the uh, the exodus that that uh, that NYCFC had. But yeah, I mean, Nashville is a very good team. Walker Zimmerman, another center back, going going up. And then you mentioned they're they're so good that they can not start Honey Mukhtar, who they did come in and have a, a, an impact. But 
I don't think it should be any surprise that Nashville, that has just gotten better and better and better, um, and with everybody ultimately on the field, found a way to dispose of an NYCFC team that we know has gone through massive changes. And, you know, I guess they're going to wait till summer before this team really comes to comes to fruition. And you hope it's not it's not too late, but not a great start in terms of the scoreline or in terms of the way that they played. Orlando, 1-0 home win over the Red Bulls. Facundo Torres from the penalty spot. Pedro Galesi took care of the rest. It should be noted, Dante Van Zier, the big Red Bull signing mm-hmm. up front, did not play. The paperwork hasn't been sorted out yet, uh, but Orlando pick up three points. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a, a forgettable game. And, you know, I was b- b- bouncing around to different games and, and watching this. And, you know, even when you look at the the condensed version of the game, which I did for uh, for this, Eh, okay. I mean, both of these teams, well, I don't think that they're, Pedro Galesi is a star, but he does some very interesting things out there on the, uh, on the field. So like I said, uh, not nothing memorable when it comes to that game going forward for either of these teams. Now that could change going forward, but at least this game. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Cincinnati, a team that the great Matt Doyle has picked to win the supporter shield. Uh, they claimed a two, one home victory over Houston, uh, Brenner did not start, but another Brazilian, Sergio Santos, stepped in and scored. Uh, Cincinnati taking it two to one. Yeah, I mean Cincinnati is a better team. The new the Ben Olsen era. Actually, they they looked okay. They're really good on set pieces, and so I don't know if they're really concentrating on that when it comes to Houston. And there were points in this game where Houston, I, I certainly think was was the better team. But this is the type of game that Cincinnati needs needs to f- find ways to win. Take that uh, take that three points. Uh, move on. And so, yeah, I think a, a justifiable type of result ultimately for this. I, I'm I'm still not buying Houston is going to be there in the end, whether it's under Ben Olsen or not. Um, but there were glimpses there that can possibly have me change my mind as we go forward. Inter-Miami, a nice and tidy 2-0 home win over Montreal. Yep. Joseph started up top. Kritsov and Borgelin got the goals. Montreal, a team a lot of people are predicting to have a major drop-off this season, and this was not a good start to the season for them. Yeah, not a good start for them. Uh, and we know there's a you know there's a coaching change and there's you know the exodus that started last year um, with Mihailovic and that kind of stuff. Campana uh, uh, did not play. Uh, I think he was hurt. And so, you know, Joseph w- was up there. And it was nice to see them kind of s- spread the wealth. I'm talking about Miami right now uh, with a couple of new, uh, new players getting uh, getting on the sheet. That's, I think, important. And I think that's where Miami this year, if they do have the successful season that I think they're going to have, that type of balance and much more by committee, and we know that Iguain's gone, I think that that's, that's the type of performance that they are going to, going to want going forward, where they get buy-in and they get um, impact from a lot more people uh, going forward. All right, what else? RSL, 2-1 win away to Vancouver. Crylock with a late winner. We talked about Crylock. I mean, it's basically getting a new player and getting a, a, a designated player. And so that he's back and that he is uh, is scoring. I saw that, uh, you know, who was it? Um, you know, his coach, uh, Paolo Mastriani, talking about just how good he is in the box and, you know, how, how dangerous he is. And so when you don't have that, what you lose. And so welcome back. And welcome back. And again, doing what you do and you do so well in this league, which is uh, which is score goals. And Vancouver, it's not a great way. It's not a good look right off the bat up there to have RSL come in, which is a good team, but it's not an elite team to come in and late goals, let it up and disappoint the fans uh, on your home opener. 
Charlotte, New England, massive crowd. Charlotte, but they went home disappointed because the Revs claimed they won nil away victory. Kessler with a late goal. Yep. Uh, so, th- I mean, from a New England perspective, no problem. This is great, right? Uh, you get, uh, you know, you get, you get Kessler coming up and basically stealing the three points for, uh, for New England. Charlotte's got to be careful because all of the the positive energy off the field and the crowds that they were able to generate and you know the real relevance in that in that area it has to at some point be matched with consistent good results and especially at home and you know everyone says you want to win your home games that's that that's obvious but when you're trying to sell which is what is still a relatively new team and brand if people are constantly coming out and it's not just for the party, not, don't get me wrong, there's plenty, plenty of partying going on and that's part of the whole experience. At some point, you want your team to do well. And don't think for a second that Charlotte doesn't look down the road at the way that Seattle came in. And the thing about Seattle that is, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Atlanta, the thing about Atlanta is the the their ability to weather this storm that they have gone through over the last couple of years. I'm not saying it's good, but their ability was enhanced and they were given the benefit of the doubt because they had come out of the chute and really provided a good team and kind of established that not only is it a party and big crowds, but it's a there's a payoff in terms of the team on the field. I just think she, you know, Charlotte really has to be careful whether it's the players on the field, the coaching off the field. At some point, they got to put up and they got to give these people that are coming out in massive numbers a team to be proud of on the field, more so than just being proud in general of what the team is and what you, and what it represents. Actually, putting wins and scoring goals. Wild game, DC, Toronto, Click gave DC the lead. Then Bernadeschi and Kay turned it around for Toronto. Benteke equalizes and 90 plus eight coup di Pietro with the winner for DC. They take it three to two. Yeah, I mean, this was supposed to be, you know, DC you know, starting under Rooney in in for real this time. And so this is a great result. But more, I mean, I don't I almost look at it more as Toronto, with all of the money that they've spent, with all of the talent that they have, they got to find a way to be elite in what they're doing. And they were anything but elite in the way that they went out in that game and the way that they kind of let it get away, uh, get away from them. And I know it's still for Bob Bradley, you're still working players in. And just because you pay a guy a lot of money or multiple guys, millions and millions of dollars, doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to come good, uh, come good right away. But this was supposed to be a return to normalcy, which for Bob Bradley and Toronto is being one of those elite teams. And they looked anything like that in that uh, in that game. But from a DC perspective and, you know, Mr. Rooney, who I think is, you know, he's under scrutiny because his name <laughs> is Wayne Rooney. Take that. No problem for the, uh, the blossoms are we calling them the blossoms with their uh, i don't know if, which uh, which kit they uh, they decided to wear the other day but well done from uh, Rooney and company Minnesota minus Reynoso get a 1-0 away win over Dallas revenge for last year's playoffs Robin Ludd started in that number 10 spot Garcia got the winner a nice win for the Loons to start the season considering the circumstances huge huge win i mean and there's a lot of people that literally they're their prediction for where the loons finish is relative to Reynoso. And we talked a little bit about this in the previous pod about how much of a story this actually is, where you have, it's not arguably, your best player, your player that is a game changer, just not even showing up. 
And so that they can come together, I think we talked about this a little bit before, that that this Minnesota team can come together and recognize that it's not just all about Reynoso. I mean, it is, but but it but it isn't. And it almost sometimes motivates you to say, screw, you know, screw the pundits, screw, screw what everybody's saying in terms of how important this player is. We got plenty of good individual players, and more importantly, as a collective, we can rise above. And I think that's that's what you saw because this is Dallas. This isn't just some team. They went to Dallas and they beat a Dallas team. And so this, I think, is a huge result for the confidence because if if this group believes that they can win and they can be successful without Reynoso, that now you're cooking. Because then if and when they get this sorted out, and that's a big if because I don't know what's happening and we, we still don't know exactly what the hell is going on down there. If and when they get this sorted out, he comes in and doesn't have to be looked at as the savior returning. It's basically getting a really good player back in and almost he has to bring it and adjust to a team that's already on track as opposed to a team that if it's just reeling is desperate for somebody and you're almost saying, you know, save us. He doesn't. I, if I'm if I'm one of the players on the loons, I don't want Reynoso to come in and be viewed as uh, as the savior. And if you keep getting results like this and playing like this, that's exactly what's going to happen. Seattle demolished Colorado 4-0. Jordan Morris scored twice. Christian Roldan and Eber got the other goals. I said this on a previous podcast. Many others have as well. Seattle, to me, is the bounce back team, not just from the standpoint of making the playoffs, but I think they're going to be one of the two or three best teams in the league this season. They're a supporter shield and MLS Cup contender. I mean, they came out of the shoot. This this was this was fun to watch, uh, you know, especially, you know, Jordan Morris. And I know he takes a lot of crap out there, but when he gets going and some of the runs that he makes and the speed that he has, and I know at times it looks raw and kind of uncoordinated and rudimentary in terms of the way that he does things, but the man creates opportunities and this team, the way that they, you know, the way that they've come out and again, rewarded the, the faithful that have come out and had to endure what was last year from an MLS perspective. Yeah. Look out. Cause if this is, if this is Seattle in 2023, they automatically head to the top of the pack in terms of that elite three or four teams uh, out there. And I, I completely agree, Mossy. I think that this is what we are seeing is a return to form and a recognition that last year, while painful was an anomaly and was, was an aberration. And Brian Schmetzer has said, Put that out, and 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 by the way, uh, Club World Cup is gone too. Focus, get back to doing what you do better than anybody, almost in history, which is being an elite team and making the uh, making the playoffs. So huge, huge statement. If there's you know such a thing, statement type of game for Seattle coming out in 2023. Anything uh, else, Mossy? That's it. As you mentioned, uh, we're taping this uh, Monday morning LA time. Later today, Portland does face Sporting KC, a game I'm looking forward to. So that will wrap up the opening weekend. Yep. And we'll talk a little bit more later in the show about the uh, the Apple deal and the broadcast uh, deal. I think we got a uh, uh, a call from somebody uh, later on. So because I, I, I as I said, I think in general, it went off great. And from an international perspective over here, it was it was actually fun. It was fun to to watch this play out. You know, I watched the Apple uh, broadcasts. I watched our Fox broadcast from over here because I'm able to I'm able to do that. And uh, it was fun that this league is back. Uh, you know, it's La Cosa Nostra, as I say often, and it's got its good parts and its bad parts. But there was a hell of a lot of good that was going on on the field and off the field. And individuals brought it, teams brought it, the fans uh, brought it. And 
we're off to the races. So it gives us a lot to talk about. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, a uh, big we- uh, weekend recap of all sorts of interesting games, including some silverware that was given out. Don't go anywhere. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. Let's take a trip around Europe because there was all sorts of uh, games going on this this weekend. Mossy, uh, I, I am living what we have talked about for a long time, because as we mentioned at the top of the show, I'm coming to you from from Paris. And one of the things that you find when people come and visit us in the US is how jealous they are and appreciative of all of the soccer that we are able to see. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm used to on a weekend watching all of these different leagues and all these different, uh, these different games. And yeah, you can still do the streaming stuff here, but just in general on the actual television, it's it's not a lot out there. <laughs> I mean, the early. I mean, we're, we'll talk about this in a second. But the only real game that was on a consistent basis was uh, the PSG game that was on during our dinner last night. They had this big FIFA dinner and they had the huge uh, um, big screens going on and Mbappe and 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 uh, Messi, who are obviously featured in the uh, awards this year. But it's not as if uh, it's it's right there in the palm of your hand in the way that it is oftentimes over there uh, in the U.S. But I was I was able to figure out some different things there and, and uh, see some stuff. So where do you want to start? We begin in England. Status quo in the Premier League title race. Arsenal got a 1-0 away win over Leicester. Trossard scored a nice goal in the first half. It was chalked off for a dubious VAR decision, but then Martinelli got the winner early in the second half, assisted by Trossard, who's been an excellent pickup for Arsenal. Manchester City then took care of their business. 4-1 away, went over Bournemouth. Alvarez, Holland, Foden, and an own goal accounted for their scoring, so it stays Arsenal two points clear with a game in hand. Yeah, I mean, so no harm, no foul for either of these, uh, either of these, these teams. You know, there were some, I think over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about some concerns when it comes to City. Not that they should ever have a concern going up against Bournemouth, and they, and they didn't. It was, it was, it was easy, for, for lack of a better word. But at some point, if this is actually going to happen, Arsenal have to stumble. And I don't have it in, in front of me, but, you know, they there was this moment and you were right there. And I think a lot of us were where you kind of poked and it was soft and you thought that this was going to happen that and I, I even you famously said that City were going to kick on. doesn't mean that it still can't happen and that that that, that certainly is a uh, is a possibility here. But um, they both kind of go to their corners here. And at some point, if this is going to happen, Arsenal is going to ha- have to have one of those days where nothing goes well for them and the soccer gods just do not smile upon them. And then, as we've seen in the past, whether it's in the EPL or, el- or elsewhere, you got to be there to capitalize on that moment. And it doesn't always happen. And City's already let a couple times this year get away when they could have capitalized on it. So we'll see if ultimately that uh, that happens going forward. How about our friend Leeds? What 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 they do over there? Yes, uh, big one in the relegation battle. Leeds started all three Americans, Aronson, Adams, and McKenney, and they picked up a 1-0 home victory over Southampton. Junior Furpo with the only goal. So Leeds are out of the drop zone. 
Nice. Nice goal, by the way, too, if you saw it. Uh, some good work down in the corner and back heel and stuff like that. And you can tell, you know, goals are moments of explosions and a celebration, but you can tell how much it meant, especially against the Southampton team right now. Look, you start you start Americans and good things happen. Uh, so you started all three, and it was good to see all, all three of them in, uh, in, for, in for that game. And it gives them, I mean... I guess it gives them breathing room, but still not much. And so there is still work to be done when it comes to leads. But this was a game that they absolutely had to win. Playing uh, playing at home, it, it, it was close. And so they can at least breathe a sigh of, a sigh of relief that uh, the game that they needed to get three points in, they did. And like you said, for our Americans over there to not only win, but all be, all be on the field, that's a good game to be associated, a good result to be associated with. I'm going to slip in a bonus Premier League game here, much to Sean Sullivan's chagrin. Uh, Tottenham beat Chelsea 2-0, Skip and Kane with the goals. Chelsea right now are closer to the relegation zone than to top four. I mean, we've talked about this. So it's it's not for lack of money. It's not for lack of talent. Um, so then you turn to, all right, well, is it just a time thing? And, you know, I know we're going to talk about Manchester United, and certainly you can say, well, if you have to give it time, all right, that's all fine and well. But it should be further along, and it should be better than what we are seeing from uh, from Chelsea. And I know in the summer they'll, they're going to sell, and they're kind of loosen up, and, uh, and just in terms of the size of the team that they have right now, they'll get some bodies out, and that might that might help. But this is this is unacceptable, the, the way... The results that they are getting and the re- literally the ROI, the return on investment right now, if this were a business, if this were somebody you know, uh, investing money from you for, for you, you would fire them. You would say, this is bad. You have given us bad advice and it is proving to be bad by the consistent failure that uh, you, are, you are happening. Now, they had plenty of the ball. They had opportunities. And again, their, their talent when it comes to uh, to what this Chelsea team is right now. But they just cannot get out of their own way. And in big moments, they let up goals. And this is not a great Tottenham team by any stretch of the imagination. And to your point right now, well, we know it's not a great uh, Chelsea team. But where they are relative to where they should be uh, in terms of how much they have spent and the talent that they have, I mean, you got to look at the personnel and you got to look at the leadership and say, is it is it them or is it the actually they're picking just bad players and there's going to have to be a whole nother clean out when it comes to this summer. You mentioned Manchester United. We did hand out a trophy this weekend in England on Sunday. United took on Newcastle in the League Cup final at Wembley. 2-0 final. Manchester United take it. Both goals in the first half. Casemiro off a set feast. Said piece. And then Rashford, there was some question about whether it would be his goal or Sven Botman's own goal, but ultimately they gave it to Rashford. So this is Manchester United's first trophy in six years. I know it's only the League Cup, but because they're playing well in other competitions too, it fits into an overall narrative about the progress they're making under Ten Hag. Yeah. I mean, so it was interesting to see the celebration and to see how much calibration there was going to be because. You know, this is this is still Manchester United, but this is a Manchester United kind of coming out, I think, I think a lot of us think, out of the dark ages that have beset them over uh, over the last couple of years. And so while in, I guess, normal Manchester United circumstances, while it's always cause for celebration when you win something, it's tempered a little bit. But I think what you saw is that they use this moment 
to show not only externally to us that are watching that they are heading in the right direction, but maybe even more importantly, internally, that this is the expectation. And this feeling, this elation, and this celebration that you are having is something that one point, not too long ago, was something that was consistent. And not only it was consistent, it was expected and demanded of. And so I know there's there is kind of an opinion that you know, why are you celebrating this? But you know what? You, you sing while you're winning. And for a team that hasn't had those moments a lot, but we associate it with that with the past, I think that this is Im- important. And even from a managerial perspective for Ten Hag, I think you saw not, not just proof of concept, but real kind of the dynamic of this team needed to change so that you are winning. And your friend Casemiro, by the way, I think that he has brought not just the actual soccer part of it, but you know almost that mentality that has been missing. And yes, he can get a little crazy every one, every once in a while, but he has been huge in terms of the play that he has been able to uh, to consistently give. But I think also of demanding more of himself, of others, and maybe for a long time, this this team just has not demanded enough internally of each other. And so I think you're seeing that, and that's, you know, that that it you feed off of that as players, and you start expecting more out of yourself and more out of uh, out of others. And I don't want to make too much too big a deal here, but I do think that it was right for them to celebrate, and maybe even more so because of where they are coming coming uh, coming from. Is this the be all and end all from a Manchester United standpoint? No, but again, this is a hell of a lot better than what we've seen in the past. Your friend Piers Morgan called Manchester United celebrations embarrassing on Twitter. Hmm. Well, I mean, he's just got to worry about his uh, his beloved Arsenal not uh, not dropping this down the down the stretch. So, I mean, you know, it's it, it, it's Piers, it's Piers. I love it, I love it, I love it. So we'll see if he's able to celebrate anything when it comes to his Arsenal team come uh, come the end of the season. And we talk about trophies because they are. You know the the visual representation of success. They, you know, it's that money shot, and it's the confetti, and it's the music, and it's just you know the the actual act of lifting up a trophy. It brings credibility and it brings relevance, um, and it represents success for every team, whether it's soccer or anything else. Trophies. You talk about winning trophies, winning trophies. All the elite teams, we win trophies here. Might not always be pretty. But we consistently win trophies here. And that's what Manchester United for so long has promised. And unfortunately, of late for their supporters, has not been able to deliver. And I'm not saying it's completely turned the corner here. But yeah, sing while you're winning. And they're winning. Uh, In Germany, tremendous title race there. Borussia Dortmund took care of their business. 1-0 away win over Hoffenheim. Julian Brandt with the only goal. Gio Reyna again did not play. His role very limited at the moment uh, with Dortmund. Uh, Dortmund now level on points with Bayern atop the table because Bayern prevailed in the big showdown of the weekend against Union Berlin. I said on our last podcast, we're going to build this up. Hopefully it's not 3-0 Bayern at the half. Those are my exact words. It was, three, <laughs> it was 3-0 Bayern at the half. Schupa Moting, Coman, and Musiala with the goals. They took the foot off the gas in the second half. It was a 3-0 final. So the weekend ends with Bayern and Dortmund on 46. Union Berlin, three points back at 43. Leipzig had a nice win over Frankfurt. They're at 42. So that's where we stand in Germany. 
Yeah, I mean, that that Bayern win was an emphatic, hey, hold on, uh, we are the OGs, we know what we are doing. And while it is, I, I was listening to something earlier today where it's the closest title race that we have had in many, many years. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing for those of us on the outside watching, and it's actually a good thing for the Bundesliga. Having said that, Bayern, we know, is capable of doing the, these things. And I think there was a question as to whether Union Berlin... It's not whether they deserve to be where they are because they've they've done the they've done the work. But again, these are the types of games where they have to establish themselves. And there was there was clear clearly only one elite team on the field when it came to uh, this game right now. But it still keeps it close at, because of the uh, the Dortmund win, and we have our usual suspects that will continue to uh, you know go back and forth uh, here. And just like we were talking about over in the EPL with uh, with Arsenal and Man City, they're waiting for somebody to slip up. And so far, the times that they have slipped up, people haven't been able to take advantage. And so down the stretch here, all it's going to take is one person to slip up and provide that opening. And then there's enough experience when it comes to Bayern and to be fair, when it comes to Dortmund to take advantage of that situation. And uh, if it's Dortmund, hey, that, that would be something new in terms of what we have uh, seen over the last decade. And when it comes to Bayern, it might be after all the hoopla and all the screaming and yelling and all the possibility, it just comes right back to uh, our friends Bayern Munich. Yeah, last time we had something like this, the 2018-19 campaign, which we covered on Fox, Dortmund actually jumped out to a big lead. Bayern caught up with them and then ended up pipping him on the last day of the season. So we could have this type of race again that goes right down to the end between those two clubs. In France, uh, as you mentioned earlier, we had a uh, top-of-the-table clash. PSG, 3-0 victory away to Marseille. So they open up an eight-point gap. That's probably that as far as Ligue 1. I think Marseille needed to win this game to make things really interesting. Uh, the goals, Mbappe scored twice, both assisted by Messi, and then Messi got one assisted by Mbappe. Messi's goal was the 700th of his club career. That's 672 for Barca and now 28 for PSG. Mbappe's two goals gave him 200 for PSG, which equals Edinson Cavani as the club's all-time leading scorer. Wow. He'll likely surpass that in their next game. Uh, let me say this. Marseille are obviously not Bayern Munich, far from it. But facing Olympique Marseille away at a packed velodrome is the only thing PSG have domestically that's in any way analogous to playing away to Bayern Munich in the Champions League. And you saw here what I've been talking about in our last couple of podcasts. With Neymar out injured, you played just Messi and Mbappe up top. A proper midfield with Verratti, Vichy, and Fabio uh, Ruiz. And it just felt more balanced. It felt like those two guys up top give you enough firepower, but they were more solid everywhere else. And they ended up with this impressive 3-0 victory. So to me, this is the formula away to Bayern. It's why I continue to say Neymar being injured is actually a blessing in that game because they need to repeat this sort of lineup. Although they did lose uh, Kimpembe to injury. He's going to be out for the season. Uh, Galtier has been playing a back three a lot this season with Kimpembe, Marquinhos, and Sergio Ramos. He doesn't have that option anymore with those three, so it's going to be interesting to see how that affects their formation moving forward. But nevertheless, I still stand by the fact that Neymar being out is a blessing for the bigger games. Uh, they can play those three against the riffraff in France, but I think in a game away to Bayern, you're better off just playing the two, Messi and Mbappe, and being solid everywhere else. And by the way, did you see Mbappe's pass? I mean, being provider, that's... <laughs> so it's not even... It's not only you know him racing through and scoring and scoring the goals, and you actually I think you saw genuine excitement and love and energy between all of them, but including uh, between Messi and Mbappe, and recognizing that you know they can play off each other 
in a, in a really interesting way and ultimately a very uh, a very effective way. And as, as I mentioned, this game was on last night at the dinner and people were ooing and awing and every single touch and obviously the goals uh, that were scored. And uh, even though, you know, the band is, is playing and, you know, Sade smooth operator <laughs> and everybody's screaming and yelling as Mbappe threads this pass across uh, across the uh, the six yard box through the legs of the defender onto the uh, foot of an oncoming Messi who puts it in the back of the net. So they are uh, they are flying. And, you know, this is a PSG team that had lost to Marseille just uh, just recently. And so they come back, they go to Marseille. Huge, huge uh, result. But to your point, they take it work where they can get it when it comes to league. Uh, because of uh, you know the disparity in uh, in top and in, in top to bottom, but they're going to need all help they can get when they get back to uh, Champions League, which is the ultimate goal anyway. We move to Spain, where I do want to note before we get to the La Liga action, Barcelona on Thursday were knocked out of the Europa League. They lost two one away to Manchester United. Second leg, the first leg had been two two. Uh, the the positive on that is that it clears their calendar. They can fo- focus exclusively on the domestic stuff. The negative is I know you're somebody of the mind that if you bomb out in Europe the way they have going out in the group stage of the Champions League and in the first knockout tie of the Europa League, it, it is going to take some of the luster off whatever domestic achievements they have this season. Would you uh, agree with that? Yeah, it is. I mean, because that's not what we associate this incredible team and brand with. And so, yeah, I think it's... I mean, it's not nothing they can do about it now. And so you play the games that you have and and, and what you're in. But yeah, it's it, it's a blight it, on their it, season. It undercuts any notion that Barcelona are back. Uh, but I still think if they win La Liga in Xavi's first full season in charge, it's a positive step forward in this post-Messi era. So as far as where we stand in La Liga on Saturday, Real Madrid hosted Atletico Madrid. Um, Correa was sent off early second half with a score nil-nil. So you thought, oh, Real Madrid are going to push on here and win this game. But then Jimenez scored for Atletico and Real Madrid needed a late equalizer from fellow Uruguayan Alvaro Rodriguez, this kid I've talked about in a previous podcast who's scoring his first professional goal here, but who's broken through recently and looks like he's going to be a real player for them. So it ended 1-1. You come out of that game thinking, oh, Barcelona now have a Golden opportunity to put this completely to bed. If they win their game, it's going to be a 10-point gap. Lo and behold, Barcelona lose 1-0 away to Almeria. So the weekend ends with Barcelona still seven points clear, but now doubting themselves a little bit after a bad few days here, getting knocked out from the the Europa League by Manchester United and losing to Almeria and La Liga. And Real Madrid didn't take the gift that they were handed against. That's that's the other way to look at it, yeah. So I, I look at it like that. I look at it as yeah. Barcelona says, "All right, we we had an off day. It didn't it didn't work." But I, I still I think lots of stuff would have to happen for Barcelona to screw it up at this point. But they offered them a little window, and Real Madrid said, "No, no, thank you. We're we're good." So yeah, I look at it much more as the failings of Real Madrid than the failings of Barca uh, this weekend. Fair enough. Interestingly enough, and we can talk about this in our second podcast this week on Thursday, Real Madrid and Barcelona meet in the first leg of the Copa del Rey semifinal. So in the midst of this La Liga title race, they'll also meet in this other domestic competition. Finally, in Italy, Napoli continued to roll two nil away win over Empoli. Osimhen with another goal in that one. Developments. Below Napoli in the top four race, AC Milan are suddenly playing well again. 2-0 home win over Atalanta. Junior Messias got another goal in that one. And Sean Sullivan made sure to include this in the rundown. (laughs) Bologna beat Inter 1-0. Orsolini with the goal there. So AC Milan and Inter now level on points for second place. Bologna moved up to seventh. They're challenging for a spot in one of those European competitions. 
Then we have a, a Zlatan sighting, right? He came back too. Yes, right? yes. Zlatan Ibrahimovic oh back goodness. in our lives. It's all coming together. It's all coming together for Milan and for uh, Sean's Bologna there. So big, big, big result. <laughs> All right, some uh, miscellaneous stuff to close out this segment. The CONCACAF Under-17 Championship drew to a close this weekend in Guatemala, the final Mexico-USA. Mexico took it 3-1. to one. So they stopped the bleeding a little bit. It's been a minute since they've beaten the U.S. in anything. They, they get this here, so a little bit of bragging rights there. Although I will say the U.S. played well in this match. They were kind of unlucky to lose and played well throughout this tournament. They qualified for the Under-17 World Cup, which is what matters. So not that yeah. big a deal from their perspective. The four teams that qualified, Mexico, USA, Canada, and Panama, they will be in Peru later this year, Under-17 World Cup, which is on Fox Sports. Yeah, I mean, you 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 lose the battle here at the end, but you ultimately have a chance to win the war when it comes to going uh, to the World Cup, which which mission accomplished. But it's Mexico, and it doesn't matter whether it's under seventeen or or uh, or anything else. It's still USA Mexico. But if Mexico wants to hang their hat on the fact that they beat the, the U.S. in the under seventeens. You know, we'll give them, we'll throw them a bone here because they haven't had a whole lot to smile about when it comes to the national teams on both sides, the men's or the women's national team. And we have kind of, we've owned Mexico in so many ways here uh, of late. And that can certainly change the pendulum we know. And that, that, that gap that we talk about all the time can open back up and the pendulum can swing back and forth, however you want to phrase it. But this was still a good tournament and I think opened a lot of eyes and made us very confident going forward that this generation, and not just for the World Cup coming up, but as they matriculate, this is a good group of players. And so I think they did themselves well, but it's not a very good look for a U.S. team to lose to Mexico. In women's soccer... And congratulations, by the way, to... Uh, uh, oh, you, oh, you're going to go on to the, uh, the women's side. All right. Yes. Uh, when we went off the air on our last podcast on Wednesday, Panama and Paraguay were about to meet for the final berth in the Women's World Cup. Panama took it 1-0, so the field is set. All 32 teams, six from CONCACAF, Panama, Haiti, and Portugal were the three teams that qualified via the Intercontinental Playoffs. Congratulations, I think is what you were about to say to Panama. Congratulations to Panama and congratulations to CONCACAF. And by the way, we were just talking about the uh, the dominance that the U.S. has had over Mexico and some of the problems that Mexico has. Uh, remind me again, of those six teams from CONCACAF that are going to this Women's World Cup that we will be so excited to broadcast this summer from uh, Australia and New Zealand on Fox, uh, any of them uh, called, uh, called Mexico? No, they miss out. Really? Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So we own them from that side too. So, uh, all right. Congratulations uh, to Panama. It is cool. It is, it's good for, it's good for CONCACAF. It's good for the region and it's good for the, you know, the Panama uh, women's team to get this, uh, get this experience going forward. So well done. Uh, well done there. We got some more women's soccer here too. Yeah. Also on Wednesday, as we were going off the air, the U.S. women uh, were facing Brazil in the final match of the She Believes Cup. The U.S. claimed a 2-1 victory. Alex Morgan and Mallory Swanson with the U.S. goals. So the Americans win the She Believes Cup with a perfect three wins out of three. Mallory Swanson with four of the five U.S. goals in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, I think Mallory Swanson is the big story here, and she's on fire, and that's wonderful for the team. It's going to be wonderful for her come this summer and knock on what she stays healthy. You know, Alex, Bo Alex Morgan just continues to score goals, and she's kind of, you know, she's come out of... Uh, you know, pregnancy and all of that. And she is making a case for starting up top, especially where we, we don't know ultimately what's going to happen with uh, Macario. Uh, uh, and so that's that's going to be a question for Lakondonoski up top. But if you got Alex Morgan that is firing on all cylinders right now, like I mentioned, I will see her tonight here in uh, Paris as she's up for the player of the year uh, on the women's side. That's a good thing. 
and it was fun to see. So I think all in all, this was a successful She Believes Cup, not just winning, but the type of performances that the U.S. put in. And there's still questions, and Vladko Andonovsky still is going to be under pressure going forward, but they got the job done, and I think we found out some more, uh, and whether it's you know the, the emergence or the continued emergence of Swanson or the reemergence, if you will, of, uh, of Alex Morgan, those are good things going forward. And the finalists and for the it, Women's Award, I don't think we've mentioned this yet, Alex Morgan, Beth Mead, and Alexia Putea. So by the time you hear this podcast, we'll know if Morgan won or not the Player of the Year Award. One last bonus story, Alexia. This was breaking news this morning. Jurgen Klinsmann is back in our lives. He has been named yep. the head coach of South Korea, a country that's been to the last 10 World Cups. They got to the round of 16 of this last World Cup where they lost to Brazil 4-1. to So Jurgen Klinsmann will be probably managing in the United States, the 2026 World Cup, provided he can hold on to this job for the next three years. Good for them. I wish Jurgen all the luck in the world as he uh, takes over there uh, for South Korea. A lot of talent uh, and a lot of expectations. And uh, good luck with that, South Korea. <laughs> Should be fun. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, Alex Morgan. And when we, actually, when we get to the end here, I'm just going to give a little uh, tease. I'm going I'm to ask you some of your uh, opinions as to who should win these awards uh, ultimately. And we'll give you a, a rundown here from Paris as to uh, what the, the odds on favorite, favorites are. But when it comes to Jurgen Klinsmann, he is employed again over there in South Korea. And the, the contract evidently is through 2026. So I, I'm assuming that they are hiring him with an eye to take this team, like you said, back here in his backyard, basically. Uh, as a guy that lives in Southern California, Jurgen Klinsmann, uh, to the World Cup in 2026. So that should uh, that should really be interesting. I know Jurgen holds this fascinating place in the psyche of American soccer folks uh, out there. And there's people that love him. There's people that don't. Um, there's people that, uh, you know, recognize that he had moments and did some good things. Uh, there's other people that, you know, say that, uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't do as much as he possibly could and he got in his own way at different times or that, you know, the constant criticism of Jurgen has often been that he thinks big picture and maybe he's much more suited to a bigger type of role and a general manager type of role or a, uh, you know, a, um, technical type of role as opposed to the X's and O's in the day in and day out of a, uh, of a coach. But evidently that's what he is doing with uh, South Korea. And I do wish him well, uh, I want him to do well. It looks good for him. And, um, I you know, just don't wish him well when he's playing against uh, the U.S. if and when that happens uh, three years from now. All right. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right. Let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that point of the pod where you uh, send in your questions, comments, concerns. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on all the different social media platforms. And keep in mind that our handle is SOTU with Alexi, SOTU with Alexi. Or you can call in on our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. What do the people want to know about this episode, Mossy? Uh, we have a couple of voicemails. Let's hear the first one right now. Hey guys, Chris from New Hampshire, longtime listener, love the pod. Anyway, uh, question for you. 
do you think that the prowess of American players in Europe has diminished since the World Cup? I noticed uh, Brendan Aronson training and playing with the academy team. You know, Pulisic's hurt. McKinney goes from Juventus to Leeds. Um, what is the status of American players in Europe? We were so hyped up before the World Cup, and now it almost seems like the uh, progression that was made has kind of taken a wrong turn, if you will, and there's not as many new exciting uh, happenings going on in that regard of Americans abroad. So uh, I'd love to hear your opinion, and thanks for making these awesome podcasts. All right. Uh, Chris from New Hampshire, thank you for that call. Yeah, so yeah, I, I, I think I hear what you're saying, and I think I, to a certain extent, agree that it didn't kick on in the way that I think a lot of us thought it was going to, um, you know, with this incredible generation that we have and all of the talents. While I do think it was a successful World Cup, I don't think that it had the the stirring effect internationally that I, that I think we thought it, w- it was going to have. Either players that were already there kind of kicking on and using the momentum and the positive uh, experience to, to do better things or even, you know, some movement. And I, I, you know, we heard about Jedi, Jedi Robinson after the World Cup. There were rumors about him. Obviously, Weston moved uh, and and that kind of stuff. But I, I get I get what you're saying. I'm not concerned, Chris. Um, it's maybe we had unrealistic expectations about what was ultimately going to come out of a World Cup as successful as it was or as successful as it could have been. Um, look, you're 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 listening to or watching someone here that knows exactly how a World Cup can change perception and the power of a World Cup. And sometimes it can give you a warped perception of what a uh, what a player is. But I'm trying to think and I can't think of somebody who's uh, you know, whose cachet and whose reputation was dramatically enhanced by what happened at the World Cup. You can probably say some that went, well, maybe Tim Ream, but, you know, he, Tim Ream is Tim Ream. I don't know if he's going to uh, ultimately ultimately go anywhere. So everyone is still kind of set in their station and hasn't really used the World Cup to propel themselves up to another level. Now, all of that isn't necessarily a problem going forward. We have this other ramp now that we're looking towards when it comes to it comes to 26. But I also think that, you know, the day in and day out grind of being a professional in a club situation is very, very different than the national team. And I, maybe more so than other countries, we, I guess for lack of a better word, we care about our national team and we use it as a focus and something to bounce off ideas. And it it informs us and informs our perceptions of players, maybe more so than it does else, uh, elsewhere. But when you get back to your team, whatever it is, it could be playing in the EPL at, at some of the highest level in the world. It's still a very different type of existence day in and day out. And so you're going to have ups and downs. And, you know, we're seeing that, whether it's with an Aronson, like you, uh, like you mentioned uh, right there. I mean, we still, our starting goalkeeper still does not play on a regular basis when it comes to someone like, uh, like Matt Turner. And then some of these young players that are going over the Salinas and these types of players, either they're going to get loaned out or they just haven't broken through yet. And so maybe, you know, maybe we're unrealistic in what our expectations are or 
were coming out of the World Cup. But I wouldn't worry about it, Chris. I don't think that this is necessarily necessarily a problem. And I don't think that any negative or what would be perceived as a step back should be attributed to you know, the World Cup or what didn't happen for an individual or collectively for the team in the in the World Cup. Mossy, anything uh, on this? Yeah, I mean, look, big picture, I still agree with the narrative that the future is bright for U.S. soccer, that they're producing really good players. But there was a point in the last cycle where everybody was very excited about the European club pedigree in the squad, the fact that you can put together a U.S. 11, and if you put the club logo next to each guy. Every position was like Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Chelsea, Dortmund, Manchester City. And the implication was that Americans had arrived and were going to start to become super impactful, super relevant players in the upper echelons of the European club game. If we're being honest, that hasn't materialized to the degree that everyone hoped for. Now you could go through each case and some case it's just bad luck, injuries. But week in, week out, and, and even during these midweek Champions League match days, you're just not seeing a lot of Americans playing for the biggest European clubs and impacting those games. And some people are still trying to force it on Twitter and act like this is some incredible Yanks abroad period. But, you know, if it's Leeds United, as Paul Carr points out in every tweet, that's nothing new. Fulham 15 years ago had several Americans right. starting for them. And, you know, if it's somebody doing it in the championship or the Eredivisie or the Scottish Premiership, that's nothing new either. Your generation had guys doing that. So what was supposed to be different about this, this generation is that we're going to turn on the TV and watch the biggest games, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Liverpool, Manchester City, Juventus, PSG, et cetera, and see all these Americans starting week in, week out and impacting those games. And we're not there yet, if we're being honest. Uh, we thought we might be at this point. But um, big picture, again, I agree with you. It's not the end of the world. And we'll yeah. see how we're, things... We're glasses uh, half, half full. Yes. We're, we're glasses half full over here on the uh, State of the Union. All right, what else we got? All right, we have another voicemail. Let's take a listen. Hey, this is Kyle Con from Port Lavaca, Texas. Man, I think it's a horrible idea that uh, MLS is doing this thing with Apple TV. Like, nobody has Apple TV. So what do y'all think about it? I mean, like, everyone has Direct TV. We have FUBU, Sports. We have... All this different things, but we don't have Apple TV. So what do y'all think about it? All right. Uh, so thank you, Kyle, from Texas. And you are not alone. There are a lot of people that are looking sideways at this new Apple TV deal that MLS uh, has with uh, with Major League Soccer. As I mentioned at the top of the show, from a, a functioning standpoint, it went off, as far as I'm concerned, with without a hitch. And again, the global aspect of it that is being sold Again, coming here, I can only tell you, it's just my experience so far, it was fine. And you were able to access it as you are in most places around the world and uh, and watch your MLS. That's the good news. The bad news, and this is where I think some of the, the criticism or the, you know, the fear uh, – that those have is that it's behind this paywall. It is it is new to a lot of people. A lot of people don't have the uh, the Apple uh, the Apple TV um, subscription, and they don't have the MLS um, season pass that you uh, that you have. Um, I do think that what we saw this week and going forward was the ultimate work in progress, not just in terms of the production that is being done, but almost the re-education of the American soccer fan, not just the MLS fan, because that is, as I said before, many, many times, MLS's problem 
isn't that there aren't soccer fans in the U.S. It's that there are not enough MLS fans. And so having a barrier and yet another barrier to entry can be problematic unless you are constantly educating, unless you hold people's hands, unless you make it turnkey, unless you make it easy. And I think so far there are things that have been done, whether it's you know giving them free subscriptions when they're season ticket holders or depending on what you're your uh, your wireless network is all of these uh, all of these different things, or costing less if you're already part of Apple. And I know Kyle said that nobody has Apple. There, there are plenty of people that have Apple TV out there, but they need more. And when I say they, I mean not just MLS, but also Apple. This is about people subscribing to their subscription service. And the more subs they get, the better off this deal looks. And if people are coming in for Major League Soccer, that's great. If they're coming in for something else and then they go to Major League Soccer, that is great. The, I mean, the question is, are they seeing around the corner? Does MLS see something that others either don't see or see, but they don't care about yet? And I don't know. I have I, I have no idea. We're also not going to see, as I've said before, the numbers to this. So we're not necessarily going to be able to quantify it and quantify it and say this is a success other than Apple and MLS telling that it is telling us that it is a, a success. My fear, maybe like Kyle's or, or others out there, is that out of sight, out of mind. And that's why from a Fox perspective, we are excited that we get to still be involved with Major League Soccer and we get to do you know a game of the week and there is that linear uh, package that exists uh, on Fox. And I think that that is important and MLS kind of can have their feet in both of these different uh, worlds in the much more traditional linear that involves the relationship with Fox and then this futuristic seeing around the corner type of enterprise and much bigger enterprise, let's be honest, with what the, the deal they have with uh, with with Apple. How this ultimately ends out, I don't think we're going to know. This is a 10-year deal that they have uh, that they have with Apple, and I think it's going to change dramatically. The way that we consumed MLS this weekend, I think is still going to be dramatically different than what happens at the end of this deal 10 years from now. I mean, the world will change. The sport will change. A lot of these people that Kyle is talking about here you know, are going to either figure it out or let's be honest, they're not of the generation that MLS or Apple cares about. And that other generation that is much more used to, you know, streaming things and pulling up apps and doing all those different things are going to be the ones that are going to be the consumers and the customers going forward. And that is the that is the sweet spot. That is the market. It's not it's not old people, to be quite honest. And that's just the reality of the situation when you are selling a product, uh, a product like this. It doesn't mean that you don't do as much as you possibly can to make it inviting. And as I said, I think MLS is doing some of those things. But, you know, this is this is the world in which we are living in. And this is the sport with which MLS and Apple have chosen to kind of be this this guinea pig. And I don't know. I don't know if it's ultimately going to work out. Anything on this, Mossy? Uh, no, no. You said it. We'll just have to wait and see right. how it goes. We will wait. Uh, we will wait and see. All right. Let's take a, another quick break. Uh, when we come back, it's the end of the show, and I'll give you my one for the road before I head off to this beautiful, extravagant gala here in, uh, in Paris. Don't go away. All right, welcome back. It's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. And I thought that since I'm here, and as I said, heading out to this uh, 
this gala event of the uh, best FIFA football awards. This would be the 22 version, even though it's happening here in 2023, that I'd go through and give you my predictions and get Mossy's predictions as to who will win and maybe, I guess, who should win. So let's start with player of the year. From a men's side, we have Karim Benzema, Kylian Mbappe, and Leo Messi. As I've said before, I think that this is and not surprisingly so, the year of Leo Messi. Anybody other than Messi winning tonight, I think would be a uh, surprise. Kylian Mbappe, we know, is one of the great players uh, in the world, obviously happening here in Paris. And so for Mbappe and Messi, they just have to come from their houses and don't think for a second that that wasn't part of the equation and the thinking as to putting this uh, award show here in uh, in Paris. And, in, and while Benzema has had a wonderful year, I just think that this is all about Messi and that moment of final winning the World Cup. Agree or disagree, Masi? Agree. Messi all the way. Okay. Uh, I think it's I think it's what will happen, and I think it's what should happen. When it comes to uh, the best men's goalkeeper, um, Yassine uh, Buno from uh, Sevilla, and obviously from Morocco, and the reason why he's here is because of the incredible run that Morocco had and how important he was in goal to that Morocco team. Thibaut Courtois, Perennial, uh, great player for uh, for Real Madrid and not a great World Cup in terms of Belgium. And then Emmy Martinez, who had an incredible World Cup, the Aston Villa goalkeeper and the World Cup champion, who, as Mossy has said time and time again, and I completely agree, also had the greatest save in a World Cup final. Uh, because if that goes in and nine out of 10 times it does go in on that breakaway, uh, it is taken right out of Messi's hand and Argentina's hand. And you're looking at uh, two consecutive whims for Mbappe and company when it comes to France. I think I think that Emmy Martinez is going to win it. And I think that Yassine Buno should win it. I would give this to Courtois, although I put enormous weight in the World Cup and I'm giving Messi the player award based on that. And when we get to coaches, you'll see how much stock I put in the World Cup. Uh, but I, I do want to acknowledge Real Madrid in some fashion, the fact that they won the UEFA Champions League. And Courtois' performance against Liverpool in that final was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. He made three or four saves comparable to the one that Emmy Martinez made on Randall Colomani. So um, I'll give Courtois this award. So Real Madrid come away okay. with something. All right. All right. Uh, men's coach, Carlo Ancelotti, Pep Guardiola, and Lionel Scaloni. Okay. Um, I think it should be... Uh, I think it should be Ancelotti, but I think that Scaloni is going to uh, to win it. And it's completely obviously because of the World Cup, because he has no other experience. But he ultimately did what so many others have tried for so long and have failed. And that it is Messi's year, I think that that dust also settles on the back of Scaloni. Uh, I think Scaloni should win it, and I think he will win it. I am enamored of the man. I think he did an incredible job. Keep in mind, during this time span that uh, encompasses this award, he only lost one game to Saudi Arabia. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I don't, obviously, I, I think the cutoff just misses the Copa America, but still, in the back of my mind, the fact that he won that, and then he won the World Cup as well, which Argentina hadn't won in 36 years, and did an incredible job managing that team. Ancelotti at has won plenty of awards and plenty of other things. So I, I think you acknowledge Scaloni with this one. All right, we move on to the women. Uh, players of the year, Beth Mead, Alex Morgan, and Alexia Putelis. Um, okay, so Alexia's hurt, so I don't think she is going to win it. And by the way, she is the defending champion. Um, Alex Morgan, as much as she has come on and is a perennial type of uh, world superstar, I think that this is, this is a lot going to come down to what happened last summer with uh, England winning uh, Euros. And so I think Beth Mead from Arsenal and England is ultimately going to win. 
I agree with you. I think Beth Mead should win, and I think she will win. Yeah, England winning the Euros was an incredible occurrence in women's soccer, and she was phenomenal, best player in the tournament, golden boot, et cetera. So I would give it to her. Well, this is where it gets a little interesting. So um, Anne-Katrine Berger, uh, Chelsea and Germany. This is Women's Goalkeeper of the Year. Uh, Mary Earps from Manchester United and England. Um, and then uh, Christiane Endler from Lyon and, uh, and Chile. I think uh, Mary Earps from England will win it because, as you mentioned, uh, of what they uh, of what they have done. But I still think probably the best goalkeeper in the world is is still is still Endler. But she suffers from you know playing for Chile from an international perspective, and she's not the first player to suffer from an international perspective because they're not necessarily playing on a team that's constantly involved. You know, Messi plays in Argentina. Not that he wouldn't <laughs> be able to lift others, uh, but I still think that uh, ultimately this is going to go to Earps. Uh, Yep, I buy it. I still think Endler is the best, but I definitely could see Earps winning. Okay, uh, finalists for Women's Coach of the Year, Pia Sunhag. Uh, we know her from uh, from American uh, past there. Serena Wegman uh, from England. Uh, Pia Sunhag now for, with uh, your Brazil down there. And uh, Sonia Bompastor from uh, Lyon. I, I think that Serena Wegman is going to win because of what she has done with England and bringing them to the promised land, at least from a trophy perspective. And obviously, going forward, we'll see what happens in the uh, summer. But the respect and the reverence from her is palpable. And she deserves all of the credit for coming in to England and not completely changing it, but do, taking the last bit of the way that they needed to really be the elites and justifiably be uh, an elite in the world when it comes to the women's game. Only thing I'm going to say here, I am actually puzzled as to why Pia Sunhagen is nominated. She won the Copa America, but that's a tournament Brazil always wins. They've won all but one edition of that tournament. And I'm sorry. People like Ali Wagner and Heather O'Reilly can bite my head off for saying this because I know they're big Pia fans, but I've actually been underwhelmed by the job that she's done with Brazil. Everybody thought, oh, now Brazil finally have a proper coach. Look out. And it's kind of looked the same to me as it's looked under any other coach Brazil has had. Um, I don't think she's done anything special and she hasn't gone above and beyond what Brazil women's team usually does. So <laughs> I don't understand this, to be honest. Uh, so I, clearly I think it should be one of the other two because I don't think Pia should even be nominated. Oh, my goodness. All right. And finally, the uh, FIFA Puskas Award. And this is given for the best goal of the year. And it's 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 really interesting. The, f the three finalists are uh, your countryman, uh, Richarlison. And we know in that Brazil-Serbia game, basically to kick off the World Cup, one of the great goals in World Cup history with him flicking it up to himself and then biking it in the back of the net. Dimitri Payet, uh, from uh, the Marseille Paok game, and he just hits an absolute screamer from the top of the box. You can check it out online. And then one that you might not have seen, but uh, his name's Marcin Oleksi. And this was in the Varta Poznan versus Stal Rezvo. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. He is an amputee. He is doing it on crutches with one leg. And if you get a chance to see it, Check it out, because this is one of the most amazing goals. Even if he had two legs, it wouldn't be an amazing goal. And that he did it with uh, with one leg and on crutches makes it that much uh, that much more so. And I think ultimately Richarlison is going to win because it, it, it was such a huge, big moment and kind of like planted that flag of what ultimately was one of the great World Cups in history and certainly the greatest final in history. And to have that type of quality in that moment, I think it's going to I think it's going to I think it's going to go to Richarlison, although, you know, the sentimental choice and not just sentimental because it was incredible would have to be Marcin Alexi. And I just don't know what the voters are going to do because they're not going to do it in public. And so we'll, we'll see if they ultimately go for 
Richarlison. I would go with the sentimental choice. Okay. Yeah, okay. we are a sentimental, romantic type of guy, so I under, I understand that. Uh, shout out um, to shout out to Richarlison who scored more goals for Brazil at the World Cup than he has for Tottenham this season. <laughs> After costing oh 60 God. million pounds. Uh, and reminder, reminder, he had two goals at the World Cup that ranked very high on our list of top goals that we we always kept updating. Yeah. The one against South Korea, that wonderful team move where he flicked it over and got it back and slotted home. So it's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. All right, buddy. Anything else? That's it. All right. Well, listen, I appreciate uh, you hanging out with me here and making this work. I appreciate all the men and women back in uh, L.A. on uh, and, and putting this together. Like I said, uh, I'm all showered up and I've uh, put on some deodorant and all that kind of stuff and uh, got my cufflinks on. I'm going to head out to this this big show and see the the stars of today and the stars of yesterday. So uh, we're going to uh, we're going to have a good time here in Paris and then I'll get on a plate uh, flight tomorrow and head back to La La Land and I will be in the studio with you, my friend, on Wednesday for our second show of the week. Anything to tell the folks before we go? No, just have a safe flight back and uh, have fun out there. And I look forward to seeing you on Wednesday. I appreciate it. Uh, continue to uh, send in your questions, by the way, uh, whether it's uh, using that hashtag Ask Alexi out there and all the different platforms that we have. Or again, like we had today with uh, Chris and Kyle, send in uh, a uh, a, uh, on our State of the Union podcast hotline 657-549-2297 657-549-2297 you can leave a message continue to rate and to review and to subscribe and do all the different things uh, that you do here for the State of the Union we appreciate each and every one of you we will talk again to you later on this week and until then and as always my friends from Paris au revoir and size the day